Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. Film executive Katie Haber has made her mark on film culture in ways large and small. If she hadn't been there with Ridley Scott, Dustin Hoffman might have played Deckard instead of Harrison Ford. Batty's Tears in the Rain speech wouldn't exist, and the onset t-shirt wars would have ended production. For our second conversation, this is the story of how Katie made it from England to Hollywood, was instrumental in the making of numerous golden era films, and how she saved Blade Runner along the way. A note to listeners, this episode does contain swear words and adult themes. I grew up in England, and 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 when I when I went to school, I had to go to to chapel every day. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday there was a full service, and I very proudly told my dad that when everybody knelt, I would stand. And 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 my father said, "Why why do you stand?" I said, "Daddy, Jews don't kneel. We stand in synagogue. We don't kneel." And my father said, you, ha- you have to kneel with it. You know, he just wanted me to disappear. Just blend in. Yeah, keep your head down, survive. And I, I said, no, I, you know. And <laughs> I, you know, I, really, I said to, to my dad, too many Jews died, you know, for being Jewish. Why should I, I, why should I hide the fact, you know? And I was <sighs> very, very proud of the fact. Although we were not a Jewish household. My, 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 my parents were not religious whatsoever. But we yeah. were ethnic, ethnic, ethnically Jewish. I love that you were that feisty at that already in defiance you know you know because I saw my parents suffering so 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 terribly trying to find out what happened to the family for the my eight-year-old cousin and then you know and all you know all the rest of it and so you know then then I grew up and then in in 1962 um so Oswald Mosley and Colin Jordan formed a, a, a very, the, the British Nazi Party called the National Front. Oh God! And and uh, um, the, the National Front marched down Trafalgar Square, carrying their Nazi flags and all the rest of it, and totally, utterly, you know, because my father, you know, loved Winston Churchill, loved loved everything about England, who saved his life. Yeah. You know? And if you said to my father, you know, if you met him, you know. What, what nationality are you? Because he had a very lot, strong accent. He would always say, I'm British. <laughs> you know? Bless him. And, and uh, in 1962, he was made honorary professor of Edinburgh University for his, for his contribution to, uh, to, to medicine because he was a very, very famous dermatologist and all the rest of it. Oh, wow. And anyway, so he was honored at Edinburgh University and he wanted my mother to come with him, you know, for this honor. And she was going into hospital for, and she was going to have a hysterectomy. And my father was convinced that the doctors weren't telling him the truth. And then it was much more serious and all the rest of it. Watching the, um, you know, the, the, the National Front march down Trafalgar Square and, 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 and my mother, my, my mother not being, you know, going into hospital and not being with him. I mean, here comes a sad bit. My father committed suicide in Edinburgh the night the night of the the the, the, the presentation. Wow. Um, and the reason I'm telling you this story is that um, that I was going to go into to 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 uh, to study medicine like my father, and and I didn't want my mother to have to spend 
four years of uh, university of education and then another two years of medical you know education so I said I'm I'm not I'm not going to go I'm going to I'm going to stop everything and go into the film business. How did that go over? Well, I, I mean, you know, but my mother, you know, went, and she wasn't happy. She, you know, was devastated by my father's suicide. But I went to St. Godric's College and did a did a secretarial course, and then went to a, a um, to a job finding agency. And I said I want to work in the film business. And the first job I got was for the rank organization, which was a you know a film a film company in England. And I worked in the design department for for a few for a few, few months. It wasn't, I, but, but I don't. And it wasn't very successful. And then I went went to work for a, an American film producer who was, uh, as his name was Ronald J. Kahn. And I did two movies with him. One was called um, Girly, and the other one was called Prudence and the Pill. <laughs> and it was a story. It was a story about uh, a young girl who swaps her mother's contraceptive pills for aspirin and has an affair and the mother and the mother gets pregnant oh my goodness that's quite racy for the times no and it was with david niven and and, and ursula howells and it was originally going to be directed by someone someone called fielder cook and and fielder cook was was uh, fired by 20th century fox because he refused to hire um uh, Irina Demick, who was Daryl Zanuck's girlfriend at the time, to play the girlfriend in the film. So he was fired and Ronald, uh, Ronnie Neem came on to direct it. And Ronnie Neem founded a BAFTA. Oh, and okay. I, you know, I was on the set with him. And I said, Ronnie, this film doesn't work. And he said, what do you mean this film doesn't work? I said, well, I'm, I'm on contras, I am on contraception pills. And they come in a little, in a, on a card, and you pop them out. Yeah. You know? So you, there's no way that you can you can swap them for aspirin. And he said, if you tell anybody, I'll never speak. You, you're fired, and I'll never speak to you again. So this whole film was made on on a on a lie. But it was, you know. But some of the best times I had was gossiping with David Niven, who was, you know, would sit in my office every day oh, and come and gossip about everything and that. He went on to write a, a, a wonderful book called The Moon is Blue, you know, which is about Hollywood. And uh, so that was my first inroad into, into the film industry. And then Ronnie Kahn, Ronnie Kahn um, uh, moved back to America and didn't take me with him. And that's when Sam Peckinpah came to England um, to, uh, to start to do a film called Straw Dogs. Okay. And, and I was introduced to him, and some, some someone called me up, and he said, "Are you st- are you still without a job? Do you want to to you want to come and work for Sam Peckinpah?" And I said, "Who's he?" Yeah. You know, I had no clue who he was. And so, um, so who's and so, so James Swan? He was the guy. He was he was in he in, introduced me to Sam, and so he said, "And Sam wants you to call him." So I'm I'm. A, I, I was, you know, a huge tennis fan. And I was, I, I, I went to Wimbledon every year without fail. And I was so passionate about it that on the finals, I would sleep outside to get tickets for the finals. I called Sam and Sam, and Sam said, 
um, I have offices at Universal Studios. Um, can you be here in half an hour? And I said, no, I'm at Wimbledon. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, it's about, you know, an hour and a half drive from here. And he said, and and he said well, fuck you, you, you forget about it. So I don't want to work with someone like that. And I continued going to Wimbledon. And then when Wimbledon was over, um, I got another call from uh, Jimmy Swan and said, you know, Sam Peckinpah has been through four or five assistants in the last two weeks um, and uh, and wants to know if you, you, if you would call him. So, and, in the, and I, he said, in the, and much better, he said, you know, just go, go see him at, at Universal Studios in his office and uh, if you can be there in about half an hour. And I said, sure. So I went in, went into his office and there was Sam. And then I said, I hear you want me to give you another chance. Oh my God, I love it. Sounds like that's the only way to deal with somebody that's that cantankerous is to come at them with like. It started It started off at a, 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 a relationship that lasted eight pictures. Wow. And, uh, but he was not the easiest person to work with, but, uh, but it was a, an, an experience that I, I never regret and never forget. But uh, there are easier people, people to work for. So I worked with him on Straw Dogs. And then... Um, and then did he bring you with him when he came back here? or Then, then you know, it, when, when Straw Dogs was over, he was offered a picture in, um, in Prescott, Arizona, called Junior Bonner with Steve McQueen. He, you know, he was already editing Straw Dogs, so he took the three editors with him and, and stuck them in a motel in Prescott, Arizona, and, and to edit to edit Straw Dogs while he was working on, um, working on Junior Bonner. And he said to me, you know, next time I'm in England, I look forward to working with you again. Ah. And then within, within about a week, uh, he obviously couldn't live without me and, and gave me a call and he said, come over. Amazing. Actually, he said, "Get your fucking ass over here. We've got another picture to make." That's <laughs> that's Peckinpah. Wow. Then so that that was me and Sam Peckinpah and Steve McQueen in a in a rodeo picture in in the, in in the, and I said to my mother, "I'm going to Prescott, Arizona, to do a rodeo picture." She said, "You're going there, and what's a rodeo?" <laughs> <laughs> and what on earth was it like working with Steve McQueen? Oh, uh, and how much time have you got? <laughs> as much as you want. I did two pictures with him. I did I did uh, Junior Bonner, and then I did uh, a, a movie called The Getaway. Mm -hmm. Steve McQueen and Ali McGraw. That's my favorite picture of you, where you're on the handlebars of the bike, and Steve's... Yeah, that, was me, that. that was me playing, uh, um, what well, was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you know, Catherine Ross and, and, and uh, Paul Newman. On the bike in 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 Butch Cassidy in the yeah. Sunday, and we are, we were emulating, and you know Steve and I became very close friends, but because because Steve and uh, Steve and Ali fell in love on the getaway, and and I became I became the go between. Oh my! I mean the Ali McGraw and Steve McQueen story was amazing. The trouble was she she was living she was still married to Bob Evans. Oh gosh! You know and and. Uh, but you know, Bob, Bob was madly in love with her. He met, he met, he met, he met on. He didn't meet her. He saw on the on the front page of Mademoiselle magazine, and and he hired her to do Goodbye Columbus, you know, and then 
and then love story, of course. But yes, he, you know, when he when they when they got married, he promised her that he would never leave her side. And the minute they got married, he got the whole Godfather series. And, oh, and approach, you know, he was so busy that when Steve McQueen, myself, and Sam Peckinpah came to the house because Steve McQueen wanted the girl from Love Story to play his wife, you know, um, Bob Evans, oh, thank God, Ali's got a job. And he sort of pushed her into it. Ah. So if you ever see a documentary called The Boy Stays in the Picture, which yes, is- Yes, I love that. I was just going to, I was just going to mention that. Yeah. And he, he, he says, you know, you know I, it was all my fault. He said, I'm the, 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 mo the most gorgeous man in the world comes to my house and says he wants, I said, of course, of course. I said, what did I expect? And Sam was so mean to him, you know, because when he came on the set, when we were shooting The Getaway, he wanted to come and visit. And he said, no, he said, I don't want you to see Ali. I don't want you to get in, get in, in the way of, of my actor's relationship that they're, they're cultivating. Right, right. Steve and Ali were deeply into falling in love with each other. And then what happened was that, you know, they were in Palm Springs and I and I, I would come visit, you know, and I'd have spent my weekends with Steve. And one of the weekends she was unable, to, she, she couldn't, she, she wasn't even there. So Steve said, let's go for a drive. And I said, okay. And and instead of, instead of you know, so he said, instead of picking me up in a car, he picked me up in a tank. So I drove up and down Palm Springs High Street in a tank with Steve. Who McCoy. does that? And I'm inside the middle of, I'm inside in the tank. You know, I thought that people will never believe me. I'm in a tank with Steve McQueen driving up Palm Springs High Street. Amazing. Isn't that incredible? Yes. <laughs> and then the other, and the, the other amazing thing was that he rented a house, a, a guest house off Coldwater Canyon. And Ali rented a guest house off Mulholland. Oh, okay. And, but the two guest houses, you know, this is here's Mulholland, here's yeah. Coldwater. The two guest houses were next door to each other's, and nobody knew that. Brilliant. And then, so before they got those houses, and they they couldn't meet together. Steve and I swapped cars. I was driving a Porsche Targa, and he was driving a rented blue Pinto. <laughs> the price of love yep i love it did people think you were having an affair with him i i, I all i would say to say I'm, I'm spending the weekend with steve mcqueen in palm springs and and he actually gave me one of the most uh the, the greatest compliments he said katie do you realize you're the only girl friend i've ever had you know what i mean yeah <laughs> you know that's amazing instead of that you know you know a real, you know, a one, a wonderful attribute. I was Steve McQueen's girl friend. Yes, because you know, he was quite a lad. You know, the, <laughs> you know, if you look through his repertoire. Yes, so I, was, I was the only sort of friend and advisor, as a woman, woman advisor. You know. Yes. So no, I never had an affair with Steve McQueen. Oh my gosh. We were very, very good friends. What did you love most about filmmaking that kept you coming back to this world? Just, just, just the, the actual formula for making films. You know, I was on the set every day. I mean, if you see, if you see pictures of me and and um, on on on, for instance, uh, Cross of Iron with Sam in Yugoslavia. You know, the pictures of me me sitting next to him uh, on the set, 
you know, with smoke, you know, arising, you know, and, and which is why I think I got lung cancer. You know, I had lung cancer surgery in 2015. Goodness. And uh, even though I smoked and gave up smoking in 1985, I, and I look back on, on that film, the method of creating black smoke of war of a of a war scene uh, was that they were they were burning tires. Oh God! Which are not only toxic, but you know, but, you know, cancerous. You know. Yeah, that's horrible. If you guys were breathing we, we, that, or... that, that picture of me is with but we're both wearing masks, but we both have cigarettes in our hands. So you know, it had to be one of you know, right, you know, right. What on earth is the point of wearing a mask when you constantly <laughs> remove it to smoke a cigarette? That's hilarious. You know, and I, I'm, I, I, contri- I attribute that, that, that time, you know, in Yugoslavia to the reason why I've got half a lung. <laughs> so the next big thing that I want to talk about, of course, is the thing, Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, the pictures I did with Sam were... Um, um, Straw Dogs, Junior Bonner, The Getaway, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid with James Coburn and, and uh, Chris Christopherson, uh, Cross of Iron, mm-hmm. and then a movie called Convoy. Also yes, with, I loved that movie. Because Chris, Chris Christopherson and Ali yep. McGraw. We got a mighty convoy. <laughs> There you go, and and every everybody on that film was doing it for the money, and they all were very embarrassed that they were doing it as a, a trucking <laughs> trucking movie. And one, my, and one of my biggest jobs was taking script notes from Bert Young, Chris Christopherson, and Ali McGraw, and converting the scenes to intellectualize their participation in the film. Halfway through Convoy, um, Sam's paranoia. Had, to, had had such that I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore, and then I quit, wow. and that was the last film I did. But, and and Sam and I never spoke again wow. until, he, until he died in 1984, and I went to his uh, tribute. Okay, wow. Tribute at the Directors Guild. I worked for Sam Fuller, the, the the director, and then I did two movies with Michael Cimino. I did The Deer Hunter and and a movie called The Sicilian. Yes. With, with Christophe Lambert in Sicily, mm-hmm. which was a f- fascinating experience. And, and I had spent the first first few weeks on the film working with Gore Vidal on, in Ravella, in Ravella in Italy. Yeah, on amazing. the screenplay, adapting Mario Puzo's book. And uh, that was interesting. I mean, when you, when, you, when, you work, when you work with one of the greatest historians and greatest writers, and you, you're staying with him in his house for for a week or two weeks, and I suddenly thought, what am I what am I going to say to Gore Vidal for over dinner that that would be of any interest for him? Right. <laughs> oh my God! So you really wore a lot of hats. Oh, um, absolutely, a lot of hats. You know, and then then my then I I finished working up working with him on the script, and then I went back to. Sicily and um, uh, to to work with Chimino on on the on the film and oh it was it was you know Chimino was a nightmare to work with and that's a that's a whole other story and so okay. then I then I worked with a movie called the Not for Publication with Paul Bartel and I was the executive in charge of production because I I was this, the production supervisor because it was an EMI film and then I worked with Michael Dealey. 
at EMI for many years and, and uh, worked with him on various film and television productions. Mm -hmm. Then Michael Dealey got a script from a guy called Hampton Fancher called um, uh, Dangerous Days, based on uh, the Philip Dick novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Oh my gosh, okay. And uh, sat, uh, Michael said, loved it. And he said, uh, Katie, we're leaving EMI and we're going to produce a film. We're, we're going to, and he said, I want to produce this film. So Michael Dealey and I left EMI and, and uh, produced a movie called Blade Runner. Is that all? Yeah. And, uh, and Blade Runner was, was originally going to be with a, 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 a director called Robert Mulligan. Mm -hmm. And Robert Mulligan and, uh, and Michael and I had various and sundry conversations about it. And he wanted to hire Dustin Hoffman to play, to play Deckard and all the rest of it. And, and we couldn't agree. We couldn't agree on 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 how the films was going to be, you know, progressed. And that's that's when Michael approached Ridley Scott and said, you know, and showed him the script and all the rest of it. And Ridley said, "I'd love to do it." And that was uh, that's uh, that's how Blade Runner started. Wow. Uh, that's when Ridley Scott came aboard and he hired David Peoples to re re and make it more of a detective story. You know, and yes. uh, I spent many, many hours and days and nights with David Peoples at the Chateau Marmont doing the rewrites. And it, in, the, the, and in those days, the Chateau Marmont was occupied by many, many writers, you know, who were, you know, who were, you know, write, writing, you know, do, doing scripts on projects. And yet they, they used to say that the echo of the typewriter would go through the, through the, through the hotel. Wow. Anyway, so that, that's that's how Blade Runner started, you know. So when you're referred to as the production executive that saved it, yeah, but uh, it, you know, it, it was a bit, it was a very complex situation because Ridley had never. This was Ridley's first film in 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 Hollywood. Oh, you know, he 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 you know he'd done uh, um, the Duelists and and. Uh, Obviously, uh, alien and alien in, in England, and in England, the unions allow the directors to operate the camera. You know, so that the the, the the film cinematographers union and and the directors union here do not allow that. So, really, it was the first time that Ridley had not directed a film through the eye of, through the eye of the of the camera. Wow, with the lens, you know. Yeah. So that picture of me and Ridley sitting in in a in a little booth in a room is the fact that he would he would shoot video assist so that you know he could he could watch at the same time at the same time as 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 we were shooting on film. So but so Ridley was never on the set. He was always in in a, a little cubicle with me watching the video. That was only Ridley's way of being able to direct the film. Through the eye of the camera, so wow. he, and that created a huge um, schism between him and Harrison, and also the crew. It was up to me to patch up, you know, to patch the the relationships. And uh, as 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 the article, you know, explained, you know, I would, uh, you know, try and ease the, uh, the the tension between the the cast the cast and the crew, 
one day that there was a, a, a journalist that came on, came onto the set and interviewed Ridley about working in, 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 in Hollywood. And he said he preferred, he said in the interview that he preferred working with English crews because he, he'd worked with them for so long that he, he, they, he could talk to them in shorthand and they would say, yes, governor, and, and get it done. Yes, gov, and get yeah, it yeah. done. Then find, finding that he had to work in LA, you know, it, it was a, a different crew and a different yeah. form of communication. Brit, the Brits are very, very mediocre communicators. You know, in, in, in America, they, they slap you on the back and say, oh, that was great. Thanks, Gov, you know, and all the rest of it. But, you know, but he didn't do that because he was nowhere to be found. He was always, you know, in, in the booth with me and all the rest of it. The working conditions were, you know, un unbelievable. For instance, when we were in the Bradbury building, you know, shooting, you know, the, the, the Batty and, and Decker chase. Yeah. You know, right and onto the rooftops and all the rest of it. Um, you know, we were, we were in an existing office building, but the Bradbury building is yeah. in offices. And so we would come in, uh, you know, at, 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 around the, the crew would come in around five o'clock and, you know, trash the place. They would put, you know, okay. you know, not trash the place, but, you know, put dirt and, and, and water yeah. on, on all the, you know, on all the floors when they were yeah, running. Dress it. That you know they they dressed it they dressed the set, and so it was you know it was, it was filthy dirty and and and, and, and mostly and they, they, then they had, we had smoke and and we had water you know to 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 give the effect of rain, you know, yeah. rain and holes holes in the ceiling and all the rest of it. So that those are the conditions that the crew had to come in and work with you know. So nobody nobody wore decent clothes on while we were in the Bradbury Building. Everybody. Right. Came, you know, in, in their underwear because there's no point wearing clothes because, you know, you you were wet and dirty and smoky and and, and oh all the rest God. of it. Which, on top of crew not getting along with director, has got to make things challenging. The entire film was shot at night. You know, oh. it, it, it was called day for night. You know, yes. because you know, for, you know, for, for the interiors it was fine, but but the, if it, we were shot on the back lot of, of Warner Brothers. You know, and if, if we shot in the daytime, you would see the, the, the landscape in the background and the, and the, the grassy hills and, the, and, and all the rest of it and, and the sunshine. And all. So, so we had to shoot at night so that you couldn't you couldn't see you couldn't see the, 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 the backdrop of, of Burbank. So we, the whole film was day for night. So so we shot in the Bradbury building and, and at six o'clock in the morning when we finished shooting and everybody went home set dressing crew and the, and the construction crew had to clean up the entire building oh my god for, for because at nine o'clock yeah people were coming into their back to their jobs you know so this was this was for two weeks you know they would come in and trash it at eight, five o'clock in the afternoon and until we started shooting and at six o'clock in the morning they had to clean it up as if we'd never been there oh my god they're not feeling you know much compassion for Ridley at that time. And uh, the, the article came out, the PR person brought the article to Ridley and he left it in his trailer, printed up a hundred copies and put it on the catering truck so that every member of the crew could see where he said, Ridley preferred working with the crew, the British crews, would, yeah. they, they would say yes, they would do it and say yes, governor. And within 24 hours, the entire crew were wearing 
these these t-shirts which said yes governor my ass amazing oh my god so Ridley said Katie what are, what are we going to do he said I've got to work with these guys for the next you know about four or five weeks on the back of the t-shirt it said Will Rogers never met Ridley Scott so Ridley said to me who's Will Rogers and I said Will Rogers is a guy that coined a phrase, I never met a guy I didn't like. That's right. So Ridley looked at me and he said, Katie, what are we going to do? He said, I mean, how? so I came up with this idea for t-shirts for Michael Dealey, myself, Ridley, and Evo Powell, who Evo was the other, the producer uh, that, 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 uh, that Ridley brought on board, you know, to be his producer which is why I never got a producing credit because Michael Dealey and Evo Powell got producing credit and I got executive in charge of production. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I'm like, that yeah. seems unjust to me, but that's another yeah, thing. Doesn't. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't give a shit about credits. You know, it, you know some, to some people it's important, but you know, I, know, I know what I did. You know, I know, you know, I never left his side. I had these t-shirts made, you know, in 24 hours and it said, xenophobia sucks. Ooh, and all all the crew came to me and said, "Katie, what does xenophobia mean?" And I said, "Fear of strangers," and it sort of calmed the whole thing. And then from then on, everybody was, uh, you know, not totally satisfied, but it 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 created a better atmosphere. Amazing. So, so that that was called the t- the t shirt wars. The t shirt wars. And the other thing, you know, because the article said the the British executive is safe Blade Runner is that um, I introduced Ridley to Rutger Hauer. Oh, yeah. When we were casting, first of all, I was a very good friend of Eddie Olmos, and I suggested him for Gaff. Yeah. And Eddie, when he came to be interviewed by Ridley, was had already decided what he was going to look like. So he wore the hat and the whole nine yards, and he had created something called city speak which is the dialogue that he you know he speaks you know he, huh. he, he does speak english in a lot of it but but he's but he says something like yada engan bitte you know that's line when he's in when he's in the uh, the at the animal district of of, of los angeles buying, buying the snake and all the rest of it right he calls it city speak which was a language that was a mixture of hungarian Hungarian and Spanish and English, because he 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 decided that the people of that time would be multi-ethnic people, and he would be a blue-eyed Spanish-Hungarian person. Wow! And, and and really loved him, and he was cast. But I was I was a huge fan of Paul Verhoeven's work, so I showed Ridley uh, *Soldier of Orange*, *Turkish Delight*, and um, *Katie Tipple*. Two, the three three films that Rutger Hauer was in, and I said, you know, this this guy would be perfect for Patty because he's huge, perfect. Dutch, huge Dutch and 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 large and 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 powerful. So Ridley Ridley actually cast him without ever ever meeting him, just off seeing those films. Wow! And the first time that Ridley and and Rutger met was. Um, Rutka came to Ridley's house. Ridley was high, renting a house on Tohini above sunset. Rutka walks in. 
he had already cut his hair all sort of blonde and spiky and short and and dyed it white blonde and he's very large you know Dutch yeah. people are big and he was wearing a Kenzo's which is a Japanese designer sweater which was a white Kenzo sweater that had a fo a fox that went from this shoulder across you know it was across the chest yeah a big large a large fox and the fox had two red ruby eyes just over the left breast okay. you know very yeah. very snazzy white thing and, and a pair of bright pink shantang pants and when oh my gosh. you say pants that you know with Brutka's large butt and there was, there was a lot of shantang, pink shantang <laughs> And he walked in with the blonde hair and the sweater and all the rest of it and really turned white, turned ashen. And he took me out of the room. She said, what the fuck have you done to me? And I said, oh, really, don't. He's, he's, he's having you on. This is a big joke. This is just to... And really said, if you're wrong, it's all over. And, of course, he went, came back into the room and, really, and Rutger started laughing and kid. And, of course, then from then on, they were just, you know, Oh, really, really loved him so much that we were shooting the final scene, you know, that amazing scene on the rooftop when he's amazing. sitting there holding the dove and he said, I've seen yeah. things, you people seen, you know, moonbeams off the coast of Orion and all, yeah. all the rest of it. And then, and and I will die like like tears in the rain and the rain starts pouring and the dove flies away. And he showed it to Ridley and he said, scratch whatever's in the script. This is what we're. This is what we're shooting, and Rutger wrote that whole final scene. Oh my God! Yeah, it's, the dialogue. The dialogue. Stunning. It's a stunning scene. The dialogue is incredible, and that's the thing everyone quotes. That I've seen things you people haven't. I know, and the, 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 that was written by Rutger. Bless him. That was great. You know, so I contributed those two casting suggestions, and. Uh, created peace on a you know on a set that was about to erupt amazing and and the, the interesting thing was that at the end of the picture there was a director skill strike looming and and which meant that Ridley would not be able to complete the film so we shot two weeks of of that the final the final the final chase and and and, mm -hmm. and death of Rutka which was a two-week shooting schedule in one week oh my god which meant that we had to shoot 24 hours around the, around the clock. Nobody went to bed. We shot the whole thing in one week. And oh, the God. overtime, the overtime was so... Astronomical. Astronomical, exorbitant, that we went $5 million over budget in that one week, <gasps> which was meant, which meant the completion bond guarantors, which was Bud Yorkin and uh, Jerry Parencio, took over the film and the first thing they did was fire Ridley and Michael and I was the only one left on to complete the film so I had to work with the dreaded Bud Yorkin on the post-production. I moved into Maxella Studios which was uh, um, Doug Trumbull's uh, post-production you know ex special effects studios. Yeah oh my god. And I was left to finish the film with Ridley on the phone all the time and say, because he was in London, he was allowed to shoot the inserts and, and stuff. Okay. But he wasn't, he, they, Michael and, and Ridley were gone and I was the only one left. That must have been exhilarating and terrifying and... There was no, there was no exhilaration about it. it was, I had to get on with it.
Oh and, and, you know, fulfill Ridley's wishes in, in oh. his place. Yeah. Were you proud of the result? The final print of the film was not the film that finally came out. Yes. It was not, it was not that great because it had a, a lot of uh, Bud Yorkin's stamp on it, you know, like the, like the voiceover. Yes. Which Harrison hated so much he did it really badly and, and they st- he, Bud Yorkin still used it. But the the Ridley's director's cut, which is on the box set, yes, is 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 the is the film that start that created the whole. Wow! Yeah. Oh my God! Well, I have to ask, what was Harrison like? Harrison, you know, is 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 a wonderful actor and very diligent. But the rift between him and Ridley was you know was was very strong because he felt he didn't have a director. He remember he'd he'd come off he'd come off. Um, two very hands-on directors, mm-hmm. you know, uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Yes. Then, then, then he worked with an, a director that wasn't there. Yeah, that had to be very strange for yeah, everyone. very strange, yeah. Wow, well, uh, we definitely have to circle back to more stories. Well, Katie, okay. thank you. Yeah, have a good night and I will talk to you again soon. Next time on Hearthside Salons, after her illustrious life rubbing elbows with stars and making movies, Katie knows the real riches in life lie in helping others. We'll wrap up Hearthside Salon Season 1, talking about her unique charitable work and her days going from skid row to the red carpet. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.